Hi, I'm Pierce. And I'm Dave. And this week, we are inspired by YouTube to pack our go bags. We are still sheltering in place, craving a return to normal, so we decided to go on an adventure. Let's go. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, this week we were at the office, and uh, that makes it a little bit more normal than, than it is on the weeks that we're home. Um, but, um, yeah, so far still healthy. Uh, still have plenty of food in the house. More food, actually, than I'm really used to having. It's overflowing on the counters. On the counters? Yeah. Um, you know, I just remodeled, and yet I have not enough storage space for all my, um, my goods in the kitchen. What kind of goods are you getting? Uh, well, out on the counter now, we have some Gatorade. It's a lot of beverages. I have some Gatorade, some soda, some seltzer water, um, uh, my favorite uh, grapefruit soda, uh, some vitamin water, uh, crackers, bread, pasta sauce, lots of uh, Fig Newtons, tortillas. <laughs> Strawberry yeah. Newtons? No. No, strawberry noons are disgusting, Pierce. It's like a thousand percent sugar. The original is still the best. Fruit and cake, Fig Newtons. <laughs> what what is cake by definition? Oh, how would I define cake? Yeah, how would you define a cake? Well, I guess if you're gonna talk about like what a cracker is and what a cookie is and what a cake is, you know, a cracker is dry, uh typic often unleavened. Um that means it's not a risen dough. Um, a cookie um, might be chewy or or whatever, but it's it's much denser than a cake. Um, so even a, like a crispy cookie or you know even a shortbread cookie or something, all those things are uh, you know the Toll House chocolate chip cookie recipe. All those things are much denser than a cake. Uh, a cake uh, definitely has to. It could be chemically or uh, uh, like biologically. Uh, you know, uh, risen with uh, yeast or baking soda, baking powder. But so I guess when we talk about a Fig Newton being fruit and cake, uh, you know, the insides, the fig paste or whatever, uh, and the outside is, a, you know, it's, it's lighter than a cookie. And so that's why it uh, qualifies as cake. It's like, um, oh, what is it where you have that, uh, you make a sheet pan full of cake and you, you roll it up. Is that a Swiss cake roll? Is that what that's called? You know, not not like the not like a ho ho or a ding dong. No, no, that, that's or a whatever Swiss roll. A Swiss cake roll. Is that what it's called? Swiss roll. Is that what the real thing is, or is that what the snack food item is? I can't differentiate the two. I'm not. You know what we're gonna do? Enough. We're gonna put some links in the show notes, Pierce. Solution to all problems. Future links in the show notes. I I feel like you just described bread in detail. Well, I, I talked about several things about baking, sure. But uh, I, I feel like a fig, new, fig Newton is just fig injected into a bread loaf. Oh, I think they, hmm, that's a good question. Well, I don't think that they bake the uh, the Fig Newton assembled. So I think it might be more like that uh, Swiss roll, if that's what we're calling it, where they, um, where they, you build the, you know, the, the cakey part and you know, it, before it, you know, fully cures or, you know, 
dries or finishes, you know, you, as soon as it's out of the oven or whatever, or out of the giant, you know, industrial process, um, you must, you have to form it around the fig newton. And uh, if my microphone cable or uh, my headphone cable were a little bit longer, I'd go over there and we'd dissect a fig newton live on the podcast and I could tell you about it. But I suspect that if we looked at it carefully, there might be a seam on the bottom somewhere where we could see where the cake parts uh, came together. Because I don't think it's I don't think it's extruded uh, and then baked. I don't think the um, I think the fig filling would would melt and get all gross. I don't think it would uh, stand up to that. Well, we got to the bottom of that one. It's just a little food science here on the podcast. I bet you there's egg in that. Uh, is there egg in that? There could be egg in the in the cake part. Now I'm gonna go over and get one, Pierce. One moment, please. Turns out there's egg in it. All right, I've procured the Fig Newton. That's why we podcast from the kitchen, so these things are readily available. And now for my favorite part, reading the ingredients. Figs, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Could you read them in alphabetical order? Uh, Pierce, I have enough time, difficulty spelling or alphabetizing. I will not be alphabetizing this list on the fly. I'm going to read it in the ingredient order which is listed from most occurring to least occurring. So, you know, that's... This is extremely compelling audio right now. Go ahead. Fig Newton's original. And now for my favorite part. Could you do it in a less adult voice? What does that mean? what's What's an immature voice? You're making this Fig Newton reading too sexual. Oh, I'm sorry. That kind of adult. And now for my favorite part, reading the ingredients. Figs, whole grain wheat flour, sugar, unbleached enriched flour, wheat flour, niacin, reduced milk, sorry, reduced iron. This lighting is not set up for this. Uh, Thiamine, mononitrate, vitamin B1, riboflavin, vitamin B2, folic acid, Corn syrup, uh, inert, uh, sugar, canola oil, palm oil, salt, baking soda, calcium, lactate, malic acid, soy lecithin, sodium benzoate, added to preserve freshness, natural and artificial flavor, sulfur dioxide, uh, added to preserve freshness, contains wheat and soy. Seemingly, no egg products. That's a shame. How do they keep it from sticking to itself? What do you mean from sticking to itself? In a sense, you want it to stick to itself if if we're trying to seal the cake part around the fig uh, center part. No, 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 but have you ever stacked like 50 fig noons together and just like compressed them? Um, No. But I mean, I do. I'm aware of like in a like right now. I'm I'm examining a, uh, I guess what they would call a snack size package, yeah. uh, which is perhaps equivalent to four traditional fig newtons. In this case, it's two bars, uh, which are essentially two newtons long. Um, but no, in in a traditional package, you know, a, sl- a sleeve, as it were. I, I know how they stick together a little bit, but. Um, I think they just they don't stick together, Pierce, because the cake portion is uh, is not sticky. 
I mean, ma- the majority of the sugar product is in the fig paste. If you compress like 50 of them together, they don't actually stick and they don't actually uh, deform. Well, I think it depends on how much pressure you put on them. You run them over with your car, they're going to they're gonna deform plenty. No, no, no. Like, you should try it. What should I try? Stacking 50 of them up? Take take all of your fig noons and put them together and run them, run them over with your car. But put some saran wrap over them. They won't um, deform. I don't think that... Yeah, if I st- if I put all these fig newtons stacked on top of each other, Pierce, it would be too <laughs> tall for my car to climb over it. It would destroy you. <laughs> I I need to build a ramp of fig newtons so that I could get the wheel up on top of the the stack of fig newtons. Otherwise, it's just going to knock it over. If 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 I stack these all up and I'd run into it, they just all fall over, and I'd be running over one one fig newton highs worth of fig newtons. Now it might be a fig newton rotated ninety degrees. So I'd be crushing it on edge, but no, I don't, that wouldn't, that's not going to work. Yeah. But if you're stuck in the snow, would you recommend doing that? Um, if your car is stuck in the snow and the only source of traction you have is fig Newtons, go for it. Fig uh, Newton try traction. using fig Newtons as a traction assist device. Well, we figured that one out. In a way, we did. Yeah. Dave, do you have any follow-up from this week? Uh, not that I can recall. Is there anything outstanding? We got a lot of emails, but not much follow-up. I, I, they were congratulatory emails. I think everyone's really excited that we've gotten started on the podcast, and mm-hmm. uh, they're mm-hmm. really looking forward to the you know this and future episodes. Yeah, future episodes. Thousands of them. Probably hundreds of thousands of them. Um, do you want to do the math to figure out how old we're going to have to be to get to hundreds of thousands of episodes? Mm, not really. Let's see. If we do two, 26 episodes a year, so yeah. 100,000 divided by 26, it's only going to take us 3,800 years, Pierce, to do that. Do you expect to live for another 3,800 years? Maybe. Okay. Well, I hope that I'm there with you to record our podcast. COVID willing. COVID willing. Yeah. That's, a, that's a fun expression. Do you think we could get, get that started? COVID willing. Yeah. All of my New Year's resolutions are COVID willing, despite me not ever having any intention of actually doing them. I thought you were really excited about New Year's resolutions. At the beginning of the year, I thought I remember you being pretty gung-ho about how everyone needed to have a New Year's resolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone has to have a New Year's resolution. But my New Year's resolution is having other people commit to theirs. Oh, so your purpose for the year is to get other people to fulfill their resolution. Yeah, I'm basically a life coach. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I'm doing my... uh, I'm doing my part with some of our coworkers. They're definitely, they're definitely changing. For the better, I hope. Oh, for the better, absolutely. But we also haven't seen them for nine weeks now. <laughs> it's hard to know what they look like. For the most part, more hair. Uh, yes, more hair. Although that brings up, I, I think it might be time for me to re- refresh my haircut. I know you've been looking forward to that. Yeah, you've been trimming your hair with your uh, 
your trimmer, you, you decide to shave it down because you can get your haircut. And I was warning you, once you do it, you have to keep it up. Otherwise, it falls into a disrepair pretty quickly. Well, I think I think this is two weeks post shaving it with the uh, the beard trimmer, and um, you know it, it it's time it it could, it could go again. I just don't know if I want to do it um, this weekend or wait until uh, right before I see you again. It it starts to feel pretty weird once it grows for a week or so. Like it, it's very crisp when you shave it initially. Yes, that's true. It, right now, it, it's it's long enough that it's no longer standing straight up, and so I think yeah. it uh, it softens up quite a bit. Yeah, it's a little weird. Anyway, so this week, you know, we uh, we decided to you know take a look at some YouTube videos that would inspire us to prepare our go bags. Um, and did you want me to go first, or did you want to go first, Pierce? No, I think I think you should go first. I think you're. Your situation's more entertaining in in the long run than mine is, and I think I, I, I'm, more I'm unconvinced. For yours. Let's let the, let's let our listeners decide that. But um, I appreciate that. So, uh, you know, we um, I've seen YouTube videos before, you know, where people are talking about uh, the preparedness or what they have in their go bag or anything. But I couldn't think when when you and I decided on this topic for this week. Um, that there was a particular video that stood out that like, oh, I want to watch that video again um, and talk about it. So I just did a search uh, for go bags or go bag. And, um, you know, YouTube is replete with example videos, uh, but I wasn't really sure which one to pick. Uh, and so I chose one from a, um, you know, a well-known um, um, media source. Um, so I chose something in the Wired uh, YouTube channel uh, a video called How to Pack for the Apocalypse um, featuring a guy named Brent Rose. And I think it's a series of videos uh, that he's involved with. Uh, so it's OOO for Out of Office. Uh, and so I guess the idea is that uh, Brent's not at work. He's out in the world doing something. And so for this video, um, he was preparing a go bag. And so one of the one of the things that you know kind of stood out or resonated with me uh, in his video was that it was important to, while it's a good idea to be prepared, um, you know, when you're assembling, you know, your kit or whatever, it's, it's beneficial that, um, you know, for one reason you might want to have an opportunity to use this stuff, you know, in a recreational setting and not just in an apocalypse. Uh, so he was kind of leaning towards, you know, these, his items were, were good for camping or, or hiking or whatever. And not just uh, good for a survival situation. And he also um, made it a point to, you know, advise you know his audience that uh, you would be well served to practice using any of this equipment before the end of days. So uh, if if you've used your tents or um, you know your your stove or your fire starting equipment or whatever uh, so several times uh, in a more relaxed setting. Um, you're going to be more familiar with it and it'll serve you better, um, you know, if you need to use it in an emergency. I don't really have a fully assembled go bag. I really just have a lot of stuff squirreled away around the house um, with some organization, but it's not it's not all ready to go. I don't have something that, you know, if you said it's time to leave the house, let's go, it's going to be at least 10, 15 minutes before I could put something together that'd be worth uh, taking with me. 
Um, and so maybe I can take advantage of this opportunity where I've essentially, uh, after watching the video and, and when I came home from work today, what I really did was kind of take an inventory of all the stuff I do have. Uh, and I think maybe that'll help me, you know, uh, coalesce around one or more bags that would be useful uh, for various circumstances. And maybe I should reorganize some things so that I do have something ready to go. But right now, it's it's really just a I have a big list here of all the stuff that I do have that, that might be helpful. Um, you might consider putting it in a go bag. Uh, and so I guess I will consider putting it in one or more go bags. Um, but really, I could just talk about the stuff that I have. Um, because as we know, Pierce, what's our favorite thing to do? That's right. It's all about the acquisition of things uh, that you think are cool. And so in the preparedness arena... Uh, whether that's ordering, you know, cases of MREs or new cool, you know, tools or, um, or you know, equipment or whatever. Uh, I think that's how I've come up with um, or amassed such a, such a collection here. Some of it I have used for camping and stuff, but um, not all of it. Well, I guess, uh, like I said, it's not all, it's not all in one bag. Um, but I can tell you about the, the bags that I did enumerate here. I have a 55-liter um, uh, internal frame backpack. Uh, it's from Gregory. Uh, and all these links will be in the show notes. Uh, that seems to be my, my saying. You know, I'm, I'm a mid-sized person, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I have, I have taken this 55-liter pack with me, and it's, it's been fine to, you know, carry sufficient clothing and water and, you know, the tent and uh, sleeping bag and everything. So... I think this is probably a good bag for that, um, you know, for the for the hiking or, or camping experience. Um, in addition to that 55-liter bag, I have a North Face duffel, uh, and it's, you know, supposedly waterproof-ish, and, uh, or at least very water-resistant, you know, but it, it's just a duffel bag, right? But it, uh, it can hold a lot, and that's where... So anything that's not in, you know, like... Uh, what a container store plastic tub where I'm just storing some things. Um, it's it's in that uh, that Gregory backpack or the North Face uh, duffel. So during the video, did you notice how many buckets this guy had behind him? Yes, he had a lot of uh, I guess what are they five gallon buckets? I mean I think they were labeled things like water and rice and beans. Yeah, but they were like I don't know eight by twelve or a ten paper taped to the buckets. I think he, right. well, that was a label, you know, not everybody has a fancy, fancy label maker. So, you know, at a distance, you want to know whether you're grabbing the bean bucket or the rice bucket. Right. So no, but when I saw that, I was like, if you bought this many buckets, you're going to be on some sort of list. No, it's, it, those are the same buckets that uh, Home Depot uses as like a shopping basket. No, you don't, you don't think if you go to Home Depot and buy 40 buckets, you're getting on a Homeland Security list. What? <laughs> Well, as as like a, a sidewalk drum band. I mean, what what's the big concern there? Like a bucket does not equal an explosive device. It doesn't. I, I don't think so. No, not in my experience. Oh, never mind then. Okay. But uh, so he didn't. He didn't actually. So Pierce is talking about uh, if you watch the video uh, in the room that he's kind of going over all of his supplies. Um, you know, it's a it's like a storage room, and then he's got shelving. And on those shelves, um, there must be at least 
four uh, of these five-gallon buckets labeled water and two labeled rice and beans and stuff. And I'm not sure if that's just to suggest those are items you should also have or if he actually, you know, wanted to convey that you were storing water in a bucket. Now, I don't know that I'd want to keep potable water in just a five-gallon bucket on the shelf. No, no. Um, I don't know that that plastic is like BPA free or anything. So, um, yeah. Now I do have some water, you know, management filtration devices later in the list here. So if you had some unclean water in those buckets, you know, I could work with that, but, um, I also had an issue with this bucket labeled rice and beans. Like, is he just pouring bags of rice into a random bucket and bags of dried beans in a random bucket? Oh, I feel much more comfortable with eating rice or beans, like a dried good that just happened to have been stored in a plastic bucket than water. The water is going to pick up the bucket taste, but the rice, it's not going to taste like bucket. And it, you can you know, that lid is airtight. It's going to keep the varmint out, varmints out. No, no, but any sort of moisture in the, like the plastic of the bucket, the rice is going to absorb. There's, there's no moisture in the plastic. No, no water is, seep, is seeping out of that plastic and into the rice. Just the oil. When you, ba- when you buy a bag of rice, does it come in a plastic bag? My rice comes in a lettuce leaves. In lettuce leaves? Uh, I think the lettuce leaves have more moisture than the plastic bucket. All right, so I have two. I have a backpack. I have a pretty large duffel bag. Um, and, you know, I've sorted these things by category, so we're going to talk about the four bags that I have here. I have a small REI backpack that's 18 liters and a very small, what does it say actually? I think I have it right here in the kitchen with me. Um, it is an eight liter uh, Patagonia bag. Is that your shoulder sling? Yeah, the shoulder sling. So I, you know, I take that, you know, um, if I'm going running or whatever, I don't run with the bag on or whatever, but if I just want to take some extra clothes and, you know, some bottles of water or whatever, I'll put it in that Patagonia uh, over the shoulder bag. Um, just to keep things together. You know, it's got pockets for your phone and your wallet and keys and whatever. Uh, so those are the four bags that I can really point to in the house that I could use for something um, of a technical sort. Um, my other big category where I'm overprepared is stoves. Pierce, how many camping stoves do you have? How many do I have? Yeah. I have the Esbit stove, my right. pocket rocket stove, I think that's, I, I don't know if you count, uh, count the BioLite stove. Oh, it's on my list. It counts. Yeah. Yeah, I guess three. All right. So you are above average, but I'm exceeding your average by one. So I think I have four stoves here in the list. Um, so the most versatile stove I have, I guess, is the MSR Dragonfly. Uh, and it's a liquid fuel burning stove, but it can burn nearly any liquid fuel you can come across. It'll burn alcohol or gasoline or kerosene or diesel fuel uh, or, you know, refined like backpacking stove fuel. It's a very versatile stove. Uh, It's a kind of stove I, or it's in the the line of like liquid fuel stoves uh, that I, you know, I guess I quote grew up with using. uh, So I'm familiar with it. Uh, And so I have that and I have it's uh, like a repair kit of spare parts and stuff because it's a very you know it's a it's a durable but you know easy to service in the field kind of thing it's got a lot more parts than some other of these uh items does it get a lot of carbon buildup you think 
Uh, I think there's some stuff for cleaning it. I mean, I've never, you know, I think if you, my experience, I've never, you know, really had a problem with that. I guess if you just, you know, it's kind of like, um, how, how do I want to say this? Like if you want to, you know, clean, clean off a pot or whatever, you can kind of, oh, no, you know what? It's like cleaning the grill. After you're done using the grill, you turn it on high and you burn off all the, you know, hamburger or steak or whatever that kind of got charred on. I think you can get away with the same kind of thing here. Now that's going to use up some extra fuel, so maybe you want to do that back when you get home. But I think you could clean out the works, I guess, um, just with some enthusiastic usage. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine with the different types of fuels and the way they burn, one fuel cleaner than the other. Oh, sure. I think there there's certainly fuels that are going to burn more efficiently than others. I think that's true. And I could imagine the veins for the gas transmission eventually clogging up from a little bit of soot or something like that, just based on the different types of fuels you're burning in it. Well, I guess the, the way it's supposed to work is, so, you know, this is a fuel that you attach with a hose to the fuel bottle. Uh, so you take the liquid fuel and you put it in the fuel bottle. And I guess it's just in a, an aluminum can, well, an aluminum bottle, it looks like a, a water bottle with a narrow top. Yeah, yeah, it's all compressed though too, right? Well, it's, you fill it when it's it's not compressed. It's an atmospheric pressure, but then you you put the uh, the pump and the hose connected to the stove uh, in into the bottle, and then it's got a piston where you pump it up. And so you pump it up so that you're um, you're going to put push um, I guess at least the fuel vapor uh, out into the stove. I don't know actually how much liquid actually ends up there. And a lot of the design of the stove is actually so that I think that the um, the fuel is going to pass over the burner before it actually then goes under the burner and then comes up through the uh, the manifold or whatever that's distributing the gas uh, around. It off gases before it actually ignites. Well, I, th- I think they once the fuel's burning, uh, you want to preheat the fuel so that you get better combustion, um, you know, after the first pass or whatever. Yeah, did you notice in a J stove, his Coleman, he is strictly a alcohol stove. The actual fuel line goes under the burners directly through them. So it's heating itself before it immediately yes. comes back up out the burners. That's right. This stove this stove works the same way. Yeah, I think that's the same theory. All right, so that's the MSR Dragonfly. Um I have a Primus uh, isobutane stove, and so this is a kind of stove that uh, screws into the top of a small um, LPG gas canister. Um, That's your traditional camping stove fuel. Like, if you went to Walmart or wherever, that's the, like, Coleman fuel canister. Well, like, uh, kind of. So I think that uh, if you have a big, like, campsite size, kind of like Jay's uh, camping stove... Um, if it's not operated on, um, like a liquid fuel, like a, the MSR stove, yeah, you just use a, a propane cylinder. These, uh, more efficient, you know, smaller, you know, backpacking size stoves often use a isobutane propane mix, uh, because it's, it's lighter than the, like a butane canister. Now I think they, I don't know if, how they get away with it exactly, but I think the, the gas canister is thinner, so you know I don't know. It's probably not as thin as a soda can, but uh, it's much lighter weight than 
you know, even like a camping, like a, a campsite sized, uh, fuel canister would be. Anyway, so this Primus stove, I've had it for a long time, uh, and I've actually used it a fair amount and it's, it really could fit in your pocket. Um, you have to check the show notes for, um, I don't, they don't sell the particular model I have anymore. So I have a link to something that's really similar, but it's kind of neat in that, uh, the, there are arms that would support the pot or the, whatever, you know, the bottle or mug that you're heating, uh, over the stove. And so they all fold, you know, they, if they rotate or open around like to, you know, to be fingers that hold up the stove or the pot, uh, they all flatten. So you kind of get, um, the stove takes up much less space than it would if it, if it didn't compress that way. And that's kind of neat. Uh, and I have a very similar, um, runs in the same fuel. I have a, um, like a lantern, a gas lantern that, uh, operates on the same fuel sources. So those kind of go together. Hmm. Uh, and I think you said you have one of these, Pierce. It's kind of neat. It's a BioLite wood-burning stove. And so the neat thing about this is that, uh, you know, you gather up some twigs, twigs and um, you, you put it in the you stove. You go trick-or-treating. <laughs> That's right. You get some twigs and you just throw <laughs> them in the stove. Do you, do you like to use your left twigs or your right twigs? Uh, left always. Okay. That one hangs a little lower. <laughs> so... Anyway, you, this kind of stove, uh, you're just burning wood that you find out in the environment, uh, but uh, it uses a thermocouple to generate electricity. So uh, the the way the, I don't remember exactly how the physics works, we'll get a link in the show notes, but uh, you can cause an electric current to flow uh, because of a temperature difference on two sides of a material. And so it uses that uh physical property to generate electricity. And so it uses that electricity for two things. Uh, it could charge your cell phone uh, or, it, or it also powers a fan that'll help um, provide oxygen to the fire. So, Yeah, it's a little uh, automatic bellows and it, um, it wicks away all the smoke, which is really nice about the fact of the BioLite. Yeah, and so I think the, the one I have is, you know, for like camp, camping cooking size they have um they have a lot of products now um you know from that manufacturer that uh, are more kind of like campfire oriented and stuff like that i think yeah their their fire pit thing their product for the fire pit i was looking at and it's very compelling but at the same time i realized you have to charge the battery in it for it to actually operate oh it can't produce enough power for to operate on its own that's that's right. You can't just have it supplying its own power source while it's burning uh, burning wood, hmm. which that kind of completely changes the product for me. I I don't know how I feel about that in general. Well, I guess it, depending on where you're going to use it. Like, I mean, if you were going to use it at the at the cabin or whatever, that would be fine. Yeah, but it also seems weird to be like, we can't have a campfire, kids. We have to go charge the fire pit. <laughs> It is a little, little uh, ironic. Well, you know, you can always, you know, you know, gather some stones and build your own fire pit and gather some wood and cut it down. I can't wait till we get to cutting down wood, the cutting down wood section of my list here. Um, I have, I have one final stove, uh, and that's an S-bit uh, solid fuel stove. And I did a little research, uh, which I'll put in the show notes, um, 
I've always called this like a solid alcohol stove. And apparently... I think it's, it's fish oil, isn't it? It's called hexamine. Um, I don't know. So ESPIT uh, has turned into uh, like... What, what's the word called? Uh, like Kleenex or Band-Aid? Oh, it's... it's the brand is known for a product or the yeah where where a brand name ends brand. up being used as a generic term for something so yeah so um these people developed i guess this company developed uh, this solid fuel and it burns very clean um some germans yeah and um and so you in in this instance this little titanium stove i have it's really just a platform that can hold one of these solid fuel pellets and very much like the Primus stove, uh, it expands out. So it folds flat and then it, it opens up uh, so that it has like these three prongs or whatever that you could balance your, uh, your cooking uh, item on top of. And then you just, you know, light the, uh, the solid fuel tablet. And uh, I don't know, I, I have tons of them. Uh, this, is not so, this is something I've kind of saved for, you know, an emergency more than um, used it's- recreationally. It's a very clever, low-tech design. Just the simplicity of the actual stand for a pot or a pan and holding your fuel tab. It folds out and it's titanium and it actually holds the fuel tabs while you're transporting, which I find very convenient. But the downside is the fuel tabs are actually very dense. In terms of weight, they're very much... uh, it's more consequential if you're concerned about carrying weight, uh, carrying a bunch of fuel tabs than it is, say, an eight ounce canister of isopropyl gasoline. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Maybe we can find a comparison of their um, energy densities. And so we could actually provide some advice as to how, like, if you really want to take as much energy with you as possible, uh, which one of these things is the right choice? Yeah, I mean, so a whole bunch of militaries around the world will. Uh, supply their troops I, um, as bit tabs or what was it hydro hexamine I think it's I think it's hexamine hexamine tabs and you can use them for one or two uses before they're um, expended for yeah I guess you, you could you could blow it out right I mean it's going to burn until the fuel's expired but if you take away its oxygen I guess um, you could get it to stop burning early yeah I haven't done any research about this. I just know from burning them and having like heard people burning them, they do smell like uh, like fish oil or animal oils when you burn them. So maybe maybe there's something to that with the caloric density of whatever they're using or energy density to actually uh, create the tabs. I don't know if it's like boiled down polar bears or anything like that <laughs> or whales. Uh, I suspect it's an entirely how should we say chemical process? Um, all things are chemicals, uh, including those whales. Like, you don't think it's like a rhino horn or something like that? No, I I I imagine a very industrial process. But um, we'll have to please check out the show notes. No, no, but yeah. Anyway, so long story short, it has a it has a weird smell when you actually burn it. Yeah, that people kind of complain about. Um, well, that. Uh, those are all my stoves. Uh, I guess the next category I have on my list here are tools. Uh, I included flashlights. Uh, and the one flashlight that I was prepared to put in the show notes, uh, I think you and I both have, Pierce. Is that right? This um, Phoenix flashlight, 
with a CR123A battery, but I think the battery it comes with is actually interesting, isn't it? Because it's rechargeable. And not only is it rechargeable, it's like in-battery rechargeable. It just takes a USB cable. It's 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 weird. You feel very strange plugging a micro USB cable into the side of a battery. And it's like the actual port for the cable is at the very top of the battery. And I'm not talking about like it's not, uh, it's not end perpendicular on. It's, to the very yeah. top of the battery. It's orthogonal to the top of the battery, but within two millimeters of the top. So you feel like you're going to tear the top of the case off. Um, it's a, it, well, I mean, I have charged it once and, you know, I only use it occasionally here at the house, but, um, it's still going strong. Um, and I guess it has several different brightness levels. Um, and, uh, the on off control is really easy. I like it. I think it's, uh, I think it's a good flashlight. I might actually get more than one. Yeah, uh, I have the same one, and I also went and upgraded to the next model up, and that also is very nice. That one actually has USB port on the case itself, oh. and it passes through. And the nice thing about these two flashlights is you can go and buy a replaceable battery. You don't have to use a rechargeable battery. You can get a non-standard size disposable battery, and for my use, that's very useful to have like just an extra battery where you can't charge it, just throw it in your bag and you're good to go. Yeah. Um, I think when we get further down the list here, I do have a CR one, two, three, a lithium batteries on the list. I have, I don't know, 10, 20 of these, uh, compatible batteries. Um, you know, not, not the rechargeable kind, but just, uh, lithium batteries, which have a really long shelf life, uh, ready to go. Um, should I not be able to plug that USB cable into the side of this battery? Because oh, uh, I have another flashlight that also takes the CR123A batteries. I think it takes two of them. Yeah, the, the thing to note is for the most part, your power output or your maximum lumens will drop when you uh, replace your lithium-ion chargeable bat- rechargeable battery with a replaceable one. They're, those ones produce slightly less power, so you get less light output. But... It's it's not really that noticeable, and it's worth the um, trade-off if you're worried about being able to charge your battery wherever you are. All right. Uh, I didn't list the other flashlights here. You know, I have a bunch of, I don't know, I guess, what are they, uh, AA-sized uh, mag lights and stuff. Uh, some of them, you know, old school with an incandescent bulb. Some of them more modern with an LED bulb. Um I guess in the, in the other lighting category here, I do have some glow sticks. Pierce, I think you're also a fan of the glow sticks, but I have a, a package of several of them. Uh, you know, just when, you know, when you want a chemical uh, light source. Of course, I guess the, the batteries are using a chemical process also, but you know what I mean. No electricity involved in a glow stick. Yeah, yeah. And here's a fun life hack. If you put your uh, glow stick in the microwave, it recharges it. Just don't do it too long. Uh, I'm not going to try that. Audience, I don't think you should try that at home either. At least not in your microwave. Uh, I would try it, just not too long. Do it once. <laughs> you know, it's always the last time, it's always the last experiment you run in your microwave that blows up your microwave. For me, it didn't blow up the microwave. It just, um, so it got really bright. And I picked it up. I was like, hey, look at this cool glowing light stick because it's been glowing for eight hours. 
and it immediately exploded and shot like phosphorescent juice everywhere in the uh, the bathroom in that rental house is still glowing, I guess. Did anyone uh, complain to you about what happened, Pierce? No, no, no. It was completely transparent to the human eye. Oh, so only if they took a black light to the bathroom, which no one should ever do, would they have seen that, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I know. <laughs> okay. What town was that in? Should I ever happen to go there? Southern Shores, North Carolina. Okay. All right. Uh, next up in the tool section, uh, I have a knife. Um, it's just a, um, you know, it looks like a military person kind of knife. It's, um, you know, it's a fixed blade knife with a serrated section. Um, it's uh, 4.8 inches. It's a Gerber knife. Um, you know, it straps into your, you know, it's got a holster and, you know, uh, Pierce and I have acquired some fancy Scandinavian pants, uh, which, uh, accommodate this kind of item pretty well. Uh, I may have sent Pierce a picture of that, uh, when the pants arrived. Um, I don't think that's going in the show notes, but, um, this is a knife, um, should be plenty fine to, uh, you know, provide, build those. What are the, what's the... What's the fire starting thing, Pierce, where you take the, the knife and you shave down the, the piece of wood so you have like, you know, like a bouquet of uh, tinder? Do you know what that's called? I don't know if there's a technical term for it. I just have always called that creating tinder or carving wood or I don't know. All right. Maybe we'll, maybe Pierce will uh, contribute that uh, link for the show notes. But um, if you've watched any of these um, these outdoors, uh, bushcraft videos, they're always, you know, one of the things they'll do to start a fire is they'll take a, a medium sized piece of wood or whatever, and they'll just shave down, uh, parts of it. So it all stays attached to the bottom, you know, they're shaving, they're cutting away from themselves. Um, but they're, you know, adding more and more of these, um, shavings or kind of curls. Just of feathering wood. it. Yeah. Yeah. Feathering. That's a good word. Anyway, so we have a knife, uh, stab people, cut up some meat, you know, cut Do rope with, this, with the serrated part. Well, I don't know, a zombie, Pierce, I think I'd be willing to stab a zombie. Um, I don't as think we that's get good into, use of knifing a zombie. What's that? It's too close. No, you don't want to knife a zombie. No, you, you get him, you get him uh, in the chin, you know, like you did with your PVC pipe. I think you could get into their brain that way. I survived. Anyhow, so now after we after we talk about knives, uh, we have some some wood cutting tools. Uh, so I have a 15 inch folding saw. Uh, it's called a Sven saw. Uh, Pierce, have you seen what one of these looks like? Uh, you know the blade and the triangle, the other two parts of the triangle. So I guess I should say that. Um, it compacts into a into a linear shape, uh, but you can when you unpack it or whatever you turn it from that linear shape and you expose the saw blade, and it's kind of like a uh, what's it called a um, it's a weird parallel hacksaw. You know how a sac- yeah. hacksaw works, where you have like a a bow shaped metal thing and you under tension you have the the hacksaw blade. Yeah. Yeah. So this blade, this saw kind of assembles that same way, uh, where except it's triangular shaped instead of you know being like a 
a bow and then the blade, it's a triangle and where the third side or the hypotenuse is the saw blade. Um, anyway, it's, it's pretty good for cutting down, you know, medium sized trees if you had to. Um, and then I think you and I both got ex- excited about buying some Fisker's, uh, hatchets and axes, um, after watching some of our YouTube friends. Uh, so I have a, uh, an X7 14 inch hatchet and an X17 splitting axe, which is, uh, almost two feet long, um, head to, head to end of the handle. And, and I think you've been, uh, you've been splitting some wood out of the cabin with, uh, at least a similar one of those items. Is that right? Yeah, I think I have a 27-inch version of the Fisker's Axe you have. So is it like a X21 or something? I don't... It's... I can't tell you the model number off the top of my head. But it's 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 a higher number than X17, and you say instead of being 23 and a half inches, you think it's 27 inches long? I, I think that's right. It, it feels like a full... It, it has a fiberglass handle and an, a carbon steel head on it so it feels really strange in the weight department but it like it swings very much like a traditional splitting axe it, it like full i don't know i don't know what the right way to say this is full swing axe so you you just rest on your shoulder and you follow through and it just splits whatever you put in front of it it's nice Ho- hopefully a log and not uh and not your shin not my shin not yet at least but i've been i've been happy with it i've missed a few times and it's chipped the blade which i don't expect to do like necessarily be any different with any other axe but well you need you need one of those logs where you set the log you you need a stump or yes you know a, a splitting target i wonder what that's technically called yeah not the log you're splitting the log you're uh chopping on that's right like the stand for for your uh, victim. Yeah. All right, the last item, I'm, I'm going to try to move along here. The last item I have in the tools section actually is something just like uh, your wife's item. Uh, your wife and I have matching trekking poles, um, and it's actually kind of funny. Uh, Pierce and his wife bought uh, trekking poles um, last year sometime, I guess. Yeah, back in August or so. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I, I'm interested in those, but, you know, I've never... You know, you do you mind bringing them in uh, so I could take a look at them? So Pierce brought both in, and um, I liked uh, I liked the women's more. Um, maybe I was attracted to the color. It's kind of a light blue. But I think um, part of the issue, I think, is that I'm not very tall. And so maybe um, uh, maybe the, the women's model was, was just fine size-wise. Uh, could be adjusted to be the right height for me. So uh, that's what I ended up with. I'm not going to lie. I was very tainted by the uh, idea that the ones that I bought ended up buying, they're carbon fiber. And as a cyclist, I'm all into anything carbon fiber. <laughs> it's like, okay, so the price is higher and it's carbon fiber. These are Sold. the things I need. Yeah, That's right. Uh, next area here I have is clothing. Um, and I guess some of this stuff is actually in that, uh, that North Face uh, duffel bag. Uh, you know, I have bunch of uh, long and short sleeve uh, kind of hiking shirts. Um, you know, they have a loose fit. They're uh, SPF, you know, sun protection. Uh, they're ventilated. Um, Pierce has seen me wear these often to 
baseball games. I think that's that's where he most mostly sees me wear these items. Uh, you know, but they they they're fast drying, uh, they're lightweight, uh, and uh, you know the technical fabrics. So I think those are good choices. Um, I also have some uh, in addition to those shorts. I also have some uh, zip off convertible uh, hiking pants. Not quite as stylish, but uh, pretty functional. Um, also in the kind of prepared clothing area, uh, I have the kind of stuff that I would wear, uh, you know, if it were snowing. I have a bunch of long underwear, uh, some wool hiking socks, uh, liner socks, um, some some pairs of quick drying underwear, uh, that kind of thing. And then, and then uh, those those fancy uh, Scandinavian pants. Uh, that I mentioned, and I think uh, Pierce, you and I have slightly different products here. I have the uh, Fall Raven Vita Pro uh, ventilated trousers, and I'm actually thinking about getting the uh, the unventilated trousers uh, in addition. So I have both. But um, when it when it when they say ventilated, what it actually means is that kind of kind of like uh, you know if you have a jacket like a like a winter jacket that has a pit zip. This is uh, this is kind of like a side of the leg zip, so it's just from, a little like sexy side like slip. Yes, yeah, um, like a little skirt slip. So like from right below your hip or whatever to down, down to the back of your knee or whatever, you can unzip the side of the pants to, to, to ventilate a little bit, uh, if that's what your climate demands. To to signal to other people on the trail you're interested. Um, I don't think that's what it's for. Uh, but, uh, you know, I haven't worn them out there, so I'm not sure yet, but these, these are cool pants, you know, they're uh, reinforced and they have all kinds of pockets. Uh, you might call them, would you call them technical <laughs> pants or tactical pants, Pierce? I think it all depends on how many cell phones you can fit in them. Uh, well, some of the pockets are interesting in that they kind of overlap. So there's like a, there's like a, uh, a, a pocket that starts higher up on the leg and it's like an upper decker and a lower decker. That's right. The the pocket starts higher and then it's deeper and it goes below and kind of behind a pocket that has a lower opening. So you could stack hmm. molt you you know I don't know in the movies or whatever, you know, guys got a um I don't know, a um a flask or a bible or a I don't know, his badge <laughs> or whatever on his chest or whatever and it stops the bullet or whatever. So I guess if you're going to get shot in the leg you could you could double up your cell phones uh, for <laughs> went, ballistic protection. You, you went through a lot of things you could have in a chest pocket, like a flask or a Bible. <laughs> well, when I'm trying, when I'm when I'm thinking back to movies where I've seen this, Pierce, aren't those the kind of things that, like, oh, you know, this this Bible stopped the bullet, right? Or or this flask, you know, saved my life. Or maybe I'm a sheriff and and it was my and it was my uh, badge that saved me. I would invest in more steel plates. That's that's more um well, but that's that's single purpose. You know, what else are you gonna use those steel plates for other than ballistic protection? What what if you had like a Bible verse printed into the steel plate or like pressed into it? Um sure. Business idea. Boom. Millionaire. <laughs> uh I suspect there's a market for those kind of things. Yeah. We we can't do that. We can't do that. That'd be well, like you don't want to do that. No, no. I that that's too much grifting for me. I can't do that. <laughs> All right. My next section is camping. Uh, in this section, I have tents and sleeping bags and stuff. And so, 
Uh, I have a Sierra Designs Orion AST, uh, and it's uh, like a two-plus person tent. Um, I've had it for a long time. It's probably the longest um, or the, the, the item I acquired longest to go in this list. I've had that for, I don't know, a very long time, at least 10 years. Um, I have a, have a more modern... Have you had two people in it before? What? Have you had two people in it before? Yes, I have. I've not had two plus people in it before, but I have had two people in it before. Mm. Um, <laughs> so uh, my sleeping bag is an REI uh, Inego 17. Um, I think it's it's rated to 17 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Um, uh, to go in that, I have a Cetus Summit uh, Thermalite reactor uh sleeping bag liner so that's uh to give you additional warmth and it also is kind of nice because it's a whole lot easier to uh you know keep your sleeping bag clean uh and uh you know take that out and shake that out than uh than having to you know take everything apart uh sleeping pads i have a a more modern uh kind of self-inflating uh thermarest uh called an evo light and I guess it's now owned by Thermarest, but I have several uh, what uh, Thermarest now calls a classic ridge rest uh, closed cell pad. So um, I guess worst case, I could have three sleeping pads underneath my sleeping bag. Um, I would not put all three of those items in one go bag. I think that would be probably overdone. I mean, I think I'm willing to go collect some moss or, or leaves or whatever to make my, my sleeping area a little more comfortable if I need to. I also feel like three sleeping pads under you would be very loud. Well, you're uh, you're a Swedish guy, Eric. Um, we just watched recently. He was sleeping outside on a rock, and he had at least two sleeping pads underneath uh, his sleeping bag. Do you remember that? Yeah, he does the like he does the classic thermal uh, foam core sleeping pad with a thermarest or something else on top of it, and it's very loud. Yeah, lots of squeaking, I think, yeah. Well, on, on top of frozen ground, it's not a good situation. I think you just need to be really tired. You know, he's always <laughs> doing that cross-country skiing to get wherever he is, so he's putting his effort in. The cross-country skating, too. You saw that one. Oh, ice skates? Yeah, yeah, he has ice skate blades that fit into the bindings for his cross-country skis. Oh, you'll have to send me a link to that. I'm interested. I, I don't think I've seen that episode. It, it is it's really interesting i didn't realize this was a thing but they have um, in nordic countries they have longer like you traditionally we think of speed skating with long blades right so a longer blade than normal like a hockey skate but even longer blades are like i don't know one and a half times a speed skating blade so maybe 16 inches long i'm just free balling here but it's meant for stability over uneven ice, which is like frozen frozen rivers. So they'll like do cross country skiing essentially on frozen rivers with these um, hmm. these longer blades, but they fit into the same bindings as cross country skis, which no, is really clever. cool. Like, yeah, and the boots themselves are made as just outdoor boots. So if you notice in his videos, he's just wearing those his cross-country ski boots is his winter boots at the same time so it's kind of it's very clever all one design well he's, he's certainly around the campsite he's doing that i don't know if um i don't know that he would go for an extended walk 
in those same boots, would he? No, I don't think he would choose to walk in them, but I think they're also acceptable enough for um, for wearing around the campsite. Is it kind of like your, your cycling shoes are okay for hobbling around not on the bicycle? Or do you think it's better than that? It depends on the shoes, but yes. So like part of foreshadowing what I did is uh, one of the things I'm really into is the idea of bike packing in terms of you go somewhere, you explore, you maybe spend a night overnight outdoors or you you ride for a while, you stay in a hotel and then you maybe ride and camp out one night or so. And your bike shoes are just completely fine for just walking around the campsite. They're not the most comfortable shoes, but they have flexible soles and you can walk just fine in them. And I think that's the same deal with the cross-country uh, shoes that he has or cross-country ski boots that he has. Hmm. All right. Well, rounding out my campsite area list here, uh, I have a little camping chair and um, I think I have a link to something that's not no longer sold at REI. Uh, but it's my product. And I like that because it's, I mean, it's it's a little hard as I get older to get in and out of because it's pretty low to the ground, but it is very small and lightweight. Um, and so I have, you know, um, I have taken that with me before. Uh, and it's kind of nice to not just have to sit on the ground. Do I need to worry about getting you one of the uh, those scooters that get you up and, down the sca- up and down the stairs now? Not just yet. Not just yet. Not yet? No. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned that uh, Primus gas lantern uh, that's in this section. I also have some spare mantles for that, so um, it's an interesting process actually when you have to install the mantle because it's much larger and it shrinks down when, uh, when it gets heated. Um, but then after it's heated, it's very fragile, so you have to be careful about that. Um, one of our favorite YouTube guys, TA Outdoors, he was uh, recommending. Uh, uh, tents from this company called DD. Uh, and so I have a DD super light tarp. Um, and so, and I think Pierce, I drug that into the office and I set it up over some cubicles. Didn't you remember that? You did. I did. So, um, it's a very versatile tarp also good for the office. Um, I don't know. I have some, some pots and pans, uh, lots of titanium mugs and, uh, sporks. Um, some some plastic plates and bowls and stuff stuff that you know you know would be I'd I'd have available for guests I guess uh, if I run out of titanium hardware uh, I have some soap got to clean those dishes uh, but uh, the soap's biodegradable right so it's not going to damage the environment uh, maybe that's less of a concern at the end of days but uh, if you're if you're going to use this stuff to go regular camping you don't want to uh, have a too much of an impact on the environment so this is soap that's uh supposed to be good for the environment um and then some some generic things i have a an extra you know kind of woven plastic tarp you know classic blue tarp kind of thing um some paracord uh, a poop shovel because you know you got to bury it you have to make your cat hole a cat hole that's right um and my trick my favorite my little hint here, um, I like to hang off of a tree uh, to do my business as opposed to trying to balance over a log. Um, maybe I'll draw a diagram for the show notes. And you, you always say, uh, leaves of three, wipe me free. Uh, no, 
maybe we'll put some pictures of poison ivy in the show notes uh, to help everybody know what to avoid. Because the last thing you need when you can't get any medical attention anymore is a poison ivy rash uh, where you don't want one. If it's a big, like, leafy vine, like, oak-looking leafy vine on the side of a tree, you want to wipe that all over yourself, right? Uh, No, don't do that. Okay, so in the safety section, that's a good segue, Pierce. Um, uh, (laughs) I guess I have um, a Sweetwater... uh, I guess it's made by uh, MSR, and I don't think they make this particular model anymore, but it's a pump filter. So, you know, you put the hose in the water, and you put the other end in the bottle, and you sit there and you pump the water through a filter, uh, and it does a pretty good job of getting all the bad stuff out. Was that the filter that was in your video that uh, could do viruses also? Uh, I think it was similar. I will need to go back to the video and take a look. Or You know what? I'll have to take a look at his their show notes to see if they've listed the products. I don't think they did. Uh, maybe I'll watch the video again and see if I can get that model information. But yes, uh, there are certainly some uh, water filters that have uh, such a fine filter that they can actually filter out the viruses. That That is pretty outstanding for a filter. And that is not standard. Most filters do not do viruses. And for the most part, that's okay. But we're also in a world where a virus is destroying all of us. Yes, this is this is the time where you want one of those virus filters, for sure. Uh, that's why you should be washing your hands. Uh, this is a favorite of yours, and I think this was inspired by you, Pierce. Maybe you saw a deal or something on Amazon. We bunch we bought a bunch of life straws, and so these are. I'll let you talk about it. I'll I'll save that for you. Um, other water purification options. Uh, I have some uh, iodine tablets. Uh, and so this takes a while, and it, I don't know that it's going to cover viruses, but it'll take care of all your uh, bacteria and other microorganisms. Um, so, you know, you collect your water. Obviously, you want it to be as, you know, clear as possible. But just because you can't see stuff in it doesn't mean there isn't stuff in it. So uh, what you do is you add, uh, obviously, follow the instructions, but it's like one or two tablets per, you know, liter of water. And you shake it up and you let it sit for... You know, I think it's 30 or 40 minutes or whatever, and then the water might taste a little bit like iodine, uh, but it's not going to get make you sick. So that's a backup option. Uh, then I have two first aid kits um, of different sizes. Um, not covered here. I actually, at the same time, I think when I bought these first aid kits, I bought a uh, another first aid kit to put in a car. Uh, you know, it's not going to do much good in a car accident, but if, um, if there's a non-car-related injury, I... I thought it was a good idea to have a first aid kit available in the car. Um, and Pierce, when I think, uh, at least for my car, and I, I think also for yours, w- they weren't allowed to import the uh, first aid uh, equipment. No, I have a first aid kit in my car. No. Oh, well, maybe maybe the dealer, you know, was able to put something back in there for you. But I think for my car, uh, we weren't. they weren't allowed to import it. So no, it's, I th- a, I think it's a missing item. What's that? I think mine's actually in German. I, I think it's the actual legit one. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I am at a disadvantage. I'm sorry that the Volkswagen Group did a better job for your Audi than uh, BMW did for me. That's standard. You didn't get the driver package or you didn't get the uh, safety package. I got nearly all the features. You would have thought that it would have included that. Um, I have an emergency blanket, you know, uh, one of those metal foil uh, blankets. 
um, that you, you know, can use to stay warm in an emergency. Uh, I should probably have more than one of those, but I think I only have one among all these things. Did you repurpose the uh, blanket you got at the end of a marathon? Uh, no, no. You know, uh, the most, you don't always get those. Um, I think the last time I was offered one, I was uh, helping a friend um, kind of pacing them at the end of the Marine Corps marathon. And um, if I'm not entered in the race, I have a, I feel bad taking any of the accommodations. So I won't use their water. I won't, uh, I won't accept their food. I won't take a medal from the Marine. I'm like, none for me, thanks. It's really kind of awkward. There's no place to bail out at the end. So you have to finish. And so you then I'm just- You don't want to jump over the barrier in the last like 100 meters of the race. No, that would, that would be more awkward than just talking to one guy and be like, none for me, please. <laughs> I do not like your marathon, sir. I just say no thank you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you don't think that's offensive? Uh, you know, I, they see hundreds, well, hundreds, they see tens of thousands of people. I don't think they're going to, I'm leaving, making much of an impression. You don't think someone's out there like, I was out there handing medals out and some guy finished 26.2 miles and then said, no, thank you to a completion medal. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a story you tell at Thanksgiving. Um, well, okay. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. I've only done that a few times for uh, just a few different people. I like it because it's not the whole race. Uh, okay. I have one more item on my list, Pierce, and it's kind of, okay. Well, I guess there are two things. Did you allude to a bunch of climbing supplies? Um, I mentioned I had paracord, uh, in, in one of these bags, I did encounter a climbing harness, but that is only the tip of the iceberg for the, the climbing material that I have, should we need it in an emergency. Uh, hundreds of meters of rope, climbing harnesses for a gaggle of people, um, Lots of lots of other equipment, pulleys, uh, trolleys. If we need to, you know, do some zip lining in the apocalypse, we're good to go. Um, but I guess the last item on the list here is I have um, stabilized gasoline uh, for my generator. So I'm not gonna. T- well, in an extreme situation, maybe I'll lug the generator around with me, but it doesn't exactly fit in a bag. That's your indoor generator. Uh, that generator is not operated, but is stored indoors. That's correct. <laughs> and you store the gas indoors too, right? And I also store the gasoline indoors, yes. I'm very worried about your gas and generator situation. Uh, they're not currently stored next to each other. <laughs> not that that's making much of a difference. No, it doesn't make a difference. But still. Uh, all of my flammable items are co-located. So there's only one part of the house I need to keep the fire away from. For insurance purposes, are you ready to release this podcast? Uh, For insurance purposes, I'm kidding. (laughs) Parody. That's right. All right, Pierce, I've really talked way too much. What do you what do you have to tell us about what you have ready to go? Uh, I don't know what to say now. So for my uh, my video, I rewatched a video I saw about two years ago uh, from Global Cycling Network. And this is a YouTube channel that I follow. And they're all about cycling in general, but they mostly follow like professional cycling and trends and 
how to be a better cyclist, that sort of stuff, just general like health and wellness in terms of road cycling specific. And the thing that caught my attention is they did this uh, trip to Morocco. They went to Marrakesh and they did a three-day bike packing uh, tour across the Atlas Mountains. And it just looked like such a great time. It was such a cultural experience and it was such a change of pace from everything that I've done in terms of cycling in the last few years of just racing and being very focused on individual fitness and uh, worried about racing and worried about race results and that sort of stuff. And it was just very like a very relaxing video for me. And it was like a culmination of all of my interests in terms of, okay, I like riding my bike. I really enjoy seeing new places. I love traveling. I love like cultural differences, just getting out of my element and, um, really seeing what the world is about. Right. And this video for me, like really kind of captured all those elements. And on top of it, they had cool gear on like cool gear to take with them. So the, uh, the whole idea of a go bag to me is, I mean, it's not something I really take seriously. It's, I, I kind of have it as a, uh, half-hearted thing that I think is wise, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to do that. that. I I don't want to live in a world where I necessarily am worried about that. But at the same time, I understand, like, both sides, and I enjoy the aspect of, like, the fun aspects of it. Like, having things that you're prepared to tackle any situation, that's cool. But believing that's going to happen for me is very glib and not where like not really where I want to like operate. So I took this idea and I just pushed it forward to like something I really want to do in my life. And right. going to Morocco and riding your bike for 3 days across a mountain range and camping out on the side of a road, that's great fun to me. So what I have the bags to do this. I've done it a few times now and it's just like Mostly for here in Virginia, where we live, I ride out to uh, White's Ferry. I take the ferry across, go into uh, Maryland, and ride the CNO Canal until we get tired and we camp overnight and we come back. So that, that's where I'm really focused. And my uh, focus for this, I don't know, challenge, or I don't know what the right term for this is, is really just having bags packed to right. do something I want to do once we're out of the current uh, can't see anyone can't like quarantine or lockdown whatever we're going to say this is so I, I sent you a image earlier with my gravel bike which is my adventure bike loaded up with a front and rear bag and without getting into too much detail the bags are packed as I don't know, I guess as efficiently as I can for a one or two night trip where... Now, is that is that enough? Uh, is that supplies for you and your wife, Pierce? Or is that is that just for you? No, it's like, just Would me. she have to carry her own stuff? She would have to carry her own stuff. It, it's being completely self-sufficient. So I have a bag in the image, and we'll show this in the show notes, packed on the front handlebars. So think of a road bike with a, I don't know, dry bag stuffed between 
the ends of the handlebars. And then like a large duffel bag just like shoved up underneath the uh, the saddle. And between the two, I probably have 30 liters of storage, which is enough for a sleeping bag, cook supplies, um, uh, a change of clothes. Like I have a pair of running shorts and a technical t-shirt and then a, a second pair of bike shorts and a, a jersey, uh, camp stove, uh, camp cup. Uh, I have, for this instance, I packed a, packed some food. I don't have any mountain house food. So I uh, dove into my store of MREs and put some MREs in it just for a okay. display. Okay, all right. And uh, I have a, a hammock in it, which is great. Like, especially if it's warm outside, it really does make you feel a lot cooler, especially in the summer here. And then just a few, like few little necessities like fire starter uh, I have matches I have a piezoelectric uh, fire starter and I have a plasma lighter and those three now, things now tell me just a second there Pierce did you you were uh, testing out your one of these lighters just the other day weren't you I wasn't testing I was playing with it on my desk okay and how did that go the plasma lighter is a essentially a zippo and you can flip the lid open, close the lid, and there's a button on the side. So I'll sit there flipping the lid open, closing the lid. And I have, of course, I have the toggle switch set to on. So I'm sitting there playing with it. And I accidentally put my um, index finger on the contacts of the uh, plasma endpoints, the arc endpoints. I'm not sure what those are called. The the contact patch for the hot, su- hot stuff. And okay. I, I press the button. And it didn't even hurt. It it just made a weird sizzling noise, a like clump of skin fell off, and I have like two <laughs> snake bites on the like end of my finger, and did not hurt at all. It was the weirdest experience of like any sort of burn I've ever had. Well, I'm glad you're okay. I mean, that that's the important thing here. Right? No, I, I mean, worst case scenario, I didn't die. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, I'm looking at the picture again here, Pearson. It is uh, really cool looking how you have. Um, now you don't need to you don't need to wear a backpack or anything, right? Just the the bag at the handlebars and the bag at the at the saddle. That's enough for. No, so for everything yeah, you need. That's right, and but I will technically I'll usually wear a bag on my back, but not like a backpack backpack. I have a Camelback chased vest, which is a 50 liter water bladder. It's the bare minimum for carrying a water bladder in your back. It doesn't have any like extra um, pockets or anything like that. It's not very bulky. It has a lot of ventilation, so it doesn't really feel like you're wearing anything. And I'll wear like a, if I'm on the trail, just wear a technical shirt underneath. And it has on the straps on the front, it has um, slots for snacks and it has slots for like extra stuff, tools and stuff like that. But you also are carrying an extra 50 liters of water, which is, which is very nice. Like all things considered, I'm not really planning on being out in the wilderness for days on end. So at least where we are, the Sino Canal has old timey, like wild, wild west water pumps where you, you go and pump it for 30 seconds until the water comes out of the ground. And it's, uh, 
like I guess a Cartesian well, it's water pressure just pulls it up as soon as you get the um, the siphon going, right? Okay. So you it, you wouldn't need to take any additional water with you, like you said. We're saying that you if you went from your house and you went you know out west uh, and then into Maryland uh, and then spent the night, you could you could get water there or along the way. You wouldn't need anything more than you were carrying. Yeah, I mean, I think we could go from here to Pittsburgh without really worrying about water. Oh, really? Wow, that's that's cool. And would you would you worry about filtering any of that water you got? Um, you know, at, at these pumps or it's not the best quality water. It tastes like iodine. So as long as the water tastes like iodine, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I was saying that, you know, there are tablets that you can put in your water to make it taste like iodine. So, you know, if maybe if they're doing that somehow to treat it for everybody, that that's a good move. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's also the uh, ability to add a inline filter to your like camelback. Uh, I forget what. The, oh, so if you just if you suck the water a little harder through a filter, uh, you can just filter it at at use. Yeah, there's a shoot. What is the main? There's one company that's very well known for the water filters in terms of they have like one liter bags and you attach the filter to them and you like squeeze the bag through or it's gravity fed. But they also have a Camelback attachment where you cut the tube in the Camelback and you put it in line. That like that's a that's the thing you can do, but I just don't want to worry about having contaminated water drip down the tube for the um, the Camelback onto the mouthpiece. That's one of the largest like right. sources of contamination for. Yeah, so it, like I mean, you don't want any like dirty water to get on the part that you're you know touching with your mouth or whatever. So you'd rather just fill up the you know water vessel with safe water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've watched and read a lot of stuff saying it's like even if you're filtering your water, if you're not careful about how it's coming into contact with what you're actually putting in your mouth or touching your eyes or that sort of stuff, like that's the real risk. So if you can eliminate that thing, I mean, not that you can eliminate that risk altogether, It's but I'm just not willing to take that risk, especially if you are have a two-day ride and you're gonna have the poops that's not a good time <laughs> no 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 shovel is large enough for getting um getting the poops <laughs> no no and in the video that we watched from you they had a lot of toilet or the guy listed a lot of toiletries stuff that i typically don't I, carry. yeah he mentioned uh he mentioned a toothbrush maybe he mentioned toothpaste those are all good things to you know and oh he mentions medications he talks about how, yeah. uh, you know, if you take any regular medications for any, you know, um, conditions or whatever, that you should probably have those available in your go bag. Um, but, uh, yeah, I probably want to supplement those first aid kits with, you know, pain relief things and, um, you know, maybe some like um, itch relief kind of stuff, antihistamines. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I don't have a toothbrush ready to go in my go bag. That's definitely something I should consider. I mean, for a go bag, it certainly makes sense. But for for me, I'm like, oh, if it's just a day or two, okay, that's not good. Not personally hygienic, but maybe not the like maybe not the biggest risk. I might rather take, I don't know, extra gauze pads or extra neosporin or something like that over a toothbrush and uh, toothpaste. 
Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll forgive you one night, you know, and if you're only going with your wife, I guess, um, you know, nobody else is going to be offended by your breath. No, I need, I need, maybe I need the, like the finger things, you know, the, Oh, like the, the little thimble yeah. or whatever. That's a toothbrush. Well, I have actually, when I have taken a toothbrush with me camping, I have cut off the handle. So you can make the toothbrush lighter and smaller by actually just cutting it shorter. So it's not quite your thimble. You cut the end to a very sharp point too. Um, convenient if you're, um, if your end of days are in prison. Yes, you want a shiv made out of your toothbrush. We're very lucky where we live that we don't have to worry about too many crazy animals. Whereas like if you lived, uh, say, California or Northern California or uh, like Wyoming or, you know, North or South Dakota, bears are a real possibility. Like carrying extra like uh, protection against wild animals in addition to your food is a lot of extra weight. And that's like, that's not something that I, or we have to worry about here. Yeah. I mean, you would, uh, you'd want to keep something to protect yourself and you'd want to have a way of, you know, keeping your food away from you, you know, overnight, right? Cause you want the bear to go, you know, bother the food and not come in your tent to get the food. Uh, so that means like hanging your food up in a tree, but not in a tree, you know, in between trees. And there's good reason for rope. Um, no, the the other reason for taking a paracord, and this is like something that I try to, if if Mary and I both travel somewhere, we go to a hotel or whatever, I take like 25 feet of paracord just as a drying line for uh, clothes. Oh, so for, because you have some technical clothes you can just wash in a sink and whatever and they'll dry overnight. Yeah, or even if it's just like regular cotton clothes, it's still nice not having to pay laundry fees. Hang drying clothes is how people did it for a long, long time. Yeah, and if you crank up that air conditioning in the hotel room, that'll dry that clothing right Reduce out. the humidity. Yeah, get it frozen. <laughs> but that's that's what I had. Nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. I did not show my Dyneema dry bag though. That's not the white bag in the front here. No, no, the Dyneema dry bag is like twenty liters. The one that I had uh, on the front is like five liters. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. I didn't realize this other bag. Because I think I remember you talking about uh, wanting to get it. I didn't realize it was so much larger than uh, what's in the photograph. Uh, maybe Pierce will provide a link for the show notes to this bag. Uh, you guys can't see it over the uh, video we're, we're talking to each other on right now. I got, um, I got this one on Amazon for like $10, maybe maybe less. Wow, but it's a it's a pretty nice dry bag, and I have extra clothes, running shorts, a technical shirt, my entire cook kit, uh, spork, uh, cook cup, uh, tokes, titanium cup, MSR pocket rocket stove, eight ounces of fuel. I think that's it. Hmm. Now, Pierce, since we're going to put a picture of the your bike all kitted out here in the show notes, do you want to talk about how the front fork isn't a fork? I think it's still a fork. Because I, I, I certainly thought that was interesting. When I first saw this bike, I was like, um, what's going on there? How does that work? The bike that the bike in question is a Cannondale Lefty. 
or a Cannondale Slate, which has a lefty. And this bike is widely regarded as one of the dumbest bikes in the bike industry. And that's precisely why I like it. That, because that's why you chose it, right? It, mostly because it's, uh, it's somewhere between a road bike and a mountain bike. And it has 30 millimeters of travel on the front fork, which it means the suspension. So it can absorb some um, shock over the road. So uneven, uh, uneven terrain. It has weird size wheels compared to every other bike. Uh, and it's it's pretty heavy, but it does everything poorly, but it doesn't do anything badly. You can literally <laughs> ride anywhere on it, which is one of the coolest things about this bike. So it's versatile. It's, it's really versatile. And it the penalty for riding it really isn't that drastic. So compared to a road bike, it's on the road, it's maybe a mile and a half an hour slower but at the same time you can ride directly off the road and go ride a mountain bike trail slower but you can do it you don't have to worry about destroying the bike or flatting or you know wrecking yourself and it like everything about it's just fun it's just everything about it's fun so the weird thing about this bike is the fork the front area that holds the wheel they call it a lefty because it only has support for the wheel on the left side. So the bike looks, I don't know, partially complete or half complete in the front end. If Yeah, it looks it looks like it's missing something it's for lopsided. sure. From a physics standpoint, it works because the wheel's really spinning uh, parallel to the frame for the most part. Like unless you're turning, then it's like the uh, the fork orientation doesn't have any real effect on how it steers or how it like handles or anything it's just all the rigidity of how you hold the wheel so it looks strange but it works just normally so is it a weight why why would you choose to design the bike like this is it a weight savings or yeah for a suspension fork you can save weight by having only one side be the side that has a spring and gas in it the reinforcement of it at the head tube level, uh, if you beef that up, that weighs less than actually adding a second or second side to the fork, I guess is the right, right way to say Right, it. right. Yeah, so for, the, for those of you who you know might not look at the show notes, imagine you had a fork that had two tines on it, right? So if a fork, I don't know, maybe has four tines normally or something. But anyway, like traditional bicycle, you imagine that coming down from the handlebars, you know, there are two sides that, you know, connect to the hub at the front wheel. And the Pierce's bike in the photo here only has that left side. So that's what we're talking about, how it only has half the fork. Or Pierce says it's a lefty. It's because only the left side of the fork is there. Yeah. Did you notice the uh, solar charger on the uh, the back of the bag? Uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure what that was strapped on top there, but... Is that a Goal Zero product that's uh, like a battery with the built-in solar panel? It is, it is a uh, Amazon special. Okay. It's a 25, uh, 2,400 milliamp hour battery. They've never tested how much it actually can charge in the sun, but the lights blink when it's in the sun, so I know it's working. <laughs> so it must be. Well, or that it had a sufficient battery charge when you left the house to power the lights. Yeah, yes. But I've had good luck with it. 2,400 milliamp hours is a pretty beefy battery. And so you'll use that to recharge your phone, I guess, Yeah. And at the end of the day? 
and the little bit of assurance saying, maybe I'm getting some charge out of it, having it in the sun, maybe that's doing a thing. I think investing in a, um, a better product or a more expensive product probably is worth the investment. But I think I paid 30 some dollars or surely less than $50 for it a few years ago. And it, it works fine. It can charge an iPad. Oh, well, that's cool. Um, you know, I guess, I guess it's down here on the first floor. Uh, and that's why I did an encounter when I was doing my inventory. But I do have, I don't know, some large form factor goal zero thing. So it's like, um, you know, if you had like a manila envelope, is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. Or like manila folder. Manila folder. A file folder. If you had a file folder, you know, it, it fold, it's, I guess, off-white colored and it folds in half. Imagine if you you had something like that and you had yet a third side. So I have a solar panel thing that's about, you know, the size of a... It's like a trapper keeper. Sure. I have a trapper keeper shaped uh, solar panel and some lithium ion battery. And I th- I'm, I'm a little concerned. I don't think the battery is working correctly. Uh, I need to check on that. Um, but, and I've never really, the last time I took it with me, it was overcast the entire time we were, we were camping. So I never got a chance to set it up and recharge the thing with it. But I've always kept the, uh, the battery component, you know, you know, it can charge from AC power or whatever. And it's, what is it? Uh, 1100 milliamp hours or whatever. It's the maximum FAA allowed, you know, rechargeable battery size. Um, anyway, so it's, it's about the size of a book. Mm, what kind of book? What kind of book does everybody have? It's smaller than a wheat thins box. It's a little bit smaller than a wheat thins box. I believe everyone's reading Da Vinci code right now. Okay. It's the size of Da Vinci code in regular print, not large print edition. <laughs> who, who gets large print? All right. Well, is there anything else, Pierce, that uh, you want to talk about the, the stuff you have set up on your bike here? Do you have any photos of like you guys like arrived at a destination and camping with, with the stuff you took out on a bike? We, we do not, but maybe that's something, uh, something we work towards. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I do have one more thing. One more thing. I have a small, um, espresso press packed away. Oh, okay. Is it a, is it an AeroPress or is it one of those like, um, uh, percolator things? It's like a wakako, wakako. I don't know. An item in the show notes. I I can show you. Stand by. This is compelling audio right now. Can you hear me? ASMR. Oh, you're totally unpacking it. Yes. Sounds like you're getting it out of some packaging. Good. Ready? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. It is. Show me the coffee production. It is called Wakako, and that's not me just making the name up. That's not. That's not something you do. No. Uh, it is something I would do, but it is a small espresso. It's a small espresso press, and you put um, the grounds into one side. And boiling water into the other side. So 
with your Tox cup, you'd boil a little water in your MSR stove. And it just has a little pump on the side. I just exploded Like a it lever everywhere. or like a little... Um, okay. What, what, is, what, what part did you just show me, Pierce? Remember, remember our listeners, they can't, they can't see, so you have to describe. It's, that's the shot glass. Okay, so, so you're going to prepare your espresso into that vessel... Yeah, and my lighting is not good. So, no, your lighting is horrible for this show and tell. Let's just say everyone go look up um, Nano Presso on the internet. All right, folks, I will be happy to look that up for us so that I can put it in the show notes so that you don't have to look it up. And I'll make sure that Pierce tells me I found the right thing. Yeah, so. Um, I've never, I have not tried it yet, so don't hold me to this. But my wife got it for me for Christmas, and I'm very oh, well, excited. Well, she would not lead us lead us astray. She's done some kickstarters, but the the side of the press has a actual pump on it, and so in theory, it has two reservoirs: one reservoir to actually pressurize, and the other one to push the air through through the espresso grounds. So hopefully, hopefully it's good. I don't know. We're gonna try it one day. All right. Well, I look. I look forward to some feedback. You know what, Pierce? Why don't you practice using it at home? What's the point of that? Well, it's about being prepared to use it when you need to. Because at home, you have all the resources to read the instructions on the internet, or you know, try it again because you have more coffee to use or whatever. I get some sort of enjoyment out of like. Going somewhere and doing something for the first time and just royally screwing it up and be like, well, that was the first time. <sighs> well, Pierce, I'll, I'll, when I first moved to Reston here, um, one of the features of our census designated place with the uh, HOA fees is um, they're really not into their street lighting. And so I used to say, Never try to go somewhere the first time at night in this town because you're not going to know where it is. There's no signs that you can see. Nothing's lit up. You know, every shopping center is down in a hole. Um, So I was used to, I would drive to a place days before I actually had to go there just to see how to get there. So I guess my level of preparedness is not quite the same as yours. I'm a little, I I don't want to be disappointed be like, Damn, I wanted coffee. I it's the morning after I've camped and wouldn't it be great to have some coffee and then oh I don't know how to make this work or it half worked or or whatever. Do you have some backup coffee in case in case that doesn't work? I will, I can endorse the uh, Starbucks dehydrated coffee stuff um for small easy travel size coffee. That works too, but uh the cowboy coffee is always a good bet. That always works out just fine. You just have to be careful with your poor. Well, I, I don't want you to, I mean, I'd still look forward to review. So someday we're going to have some follow-up after you and Mary get a chance to, to use that. Yeah, maybe this next week. Maybe that's something I'll do. Well, that's true because this, this next week you guys are going to be out in the country and safe and away from people. And so you can have a chance to, to give that a shot. Yeah, and it's going to be a long weekend too. Are there... Um, are there any camping areas that you would actually 
would leave the cabin to, you know, go camping? Like, not just for, like, a day trip, but overnight somewhere? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of places. The Appalachian Trail is only five miles away, so there's a ton of places. And I think there's also a, a shelter up there. So you can use that as well. Well, yeah, I just I wonder how close you are to one of them. Yeah, that'd be neat. But I'd, I'd be more inclined to ride into West Virginia and just, I don't know, squat somewhere. <laughs> be careful. What, what are they going to do, shoot me? Uh, possibly. We don't want that. They wouldn't do that. They're nice folks. Well, sure, but, you know, they don't know that you are. Yeah, that's true. But that's all I got. Okay. All right. Well, I think uh, hopefully our listeners, you know, uh, are inspired by your preparedness to jump on a bike and um, and go for a ride. Um, maybe they'll take a look at uh, the video that inspired you a few years ago to, you know, try bike packing. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say we're going we're gonna to have referral links on all of them. So please kill, please click everything. Um, well, <laughs> um, the majority of the links I've already prepared are just to REI. And I would recommend that everyone be, get an, become REI members. It's only $20 for life. Uh, you get your your dividend refund annually where you can, uh, all the non-sale items you spent money on or whatever, you get some percentage back. I don't know, it makes you, makes you feel like uh, you should buy some more things. Mm. Let me clarify. We're not going to do a referral links. I was joking about that. Okay. I think I have one link to Amazon. It is not presently and will not uh, become a referral link. We're doing this for you guys. This is art. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pierce. Uh, Thanks to our listeners. And um, until uh, next time. Yeah, until next time. I think I might die from heat stroke, but until next time. All right. Let's get a fan on you. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.